Last week, we gathered together to celebrate the unbelievable. That Jesus went to the cross, died, was buried, and rose again. That he was no longer in the tomb. The tomb was empty because he has risen. The resurrection of Jesus, as I said many times last week, was an unbelievable event. When Paul later wrote about the resurrection of Jesus in the book of 1 Corinthians, he described it this way, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are, pairing, but are, who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. I think that we have to let those words sink in a little bit in light of what we talked about last week, that to those who do not believe in Jesus, the cross and then the resurrection of Jesus is just plain dumb. It just is. It doesn't make sense to anyone. I mean, number one, if God is so powerful, why would he choose to do things that way? I mean, does that really make the most sense when he can choose to do whatever it is he wants to do? And two, if Jesus really died, there is no way that he came back from death. It's the last point that, again, has led to some interesting conversations for me over the years. Those conversations are moments that I've had with friends where, you know, we get to the quiet time. And they say to me, do you really believe that Jesus rose from the dead? And I say, yes. You mean like you believe he came back to life? Like he was dead and came back to life? Yes. You mean to say that he was no longer breathing and his heart was not beating? He was clinically dead and he came back to life? Yes. You mean, please stop. <laughs> there is no other way we can describe this except to say, yes, this is what I believe. And I've been fortunate to have those conversations with people who respect me. So while they might have had uh, some trouble hiding their feelings of incredulity, they don't make me feel that dumb or stupid in the moment. They give me the benefit of the doubt and just write it off as to one flaw in another life's flawless person. But guys, this is what Paul was warning us about, that if you don't believe in Jesus, then the cross and the resurrection isn't going to make any sense to you. That it's something that you are never going to understand because it's crazy. It is only by believing in Jesus fully as a son of God that you can believe that he died and rose again because, as we said last week, the resurrection is an unbelievable thing, meaning it is beyond difficult to believe in. And there is a big chasm between the point of view with Jesus right in the middle, that he is the Son of God, or this is impossible for anyone, including God. And here we are in the middle of that discussion. And it's only we know, as believing in Jesus fully as the Son of God, that he can be died and raised again. But then there's foolishness on the other side. And here we are trying to explain to a world that doesn't want to believe or understand, that doesn't want to, that doesn't want this to be true, we're trying to tell them that it is true. 
And we have seen the followers of Jesus struggle to know who Jesus really was. They thought they knew, but the cross and even the empty tomb threw them over the edge of what they believed was possible. Because the followers of Jesus, even though they were with Jesus every single day, they saw the world in a particular way. And that world that they lived in had specific rules. Even though they were living under the Almighty God, in the presence of the Son of God, they still understood that things have to work a certain way. And they believed that Jesus was the Messiah, the de deliverer and salvation of the people of God. But, <laughs> in spite of believing, and in some ways even knowing that, this Jesus, that was the Messiah and the Son of God, was sort of became a creature of their own creation. Meaning that even though Jesus told them all along the way where this road was going, they still had other ideas about what it meant for him to be Savior and Messiah. And in some ways, and I don't know that we can blame them for this, we like to blame the apostles, the disciples for a lot of things, but it, in some ways, they saw the Jesus that they wanted to see. They saw his goodness, they heard his teaching, they saw the miracles, and as they're going along this way, they have built up this Jesus as a returning king, restorer of the nation of Israel. And they were sure that returning to Jerusalem was going to bring him and therefore them all the glory, all the wonder. But then Jesus was killed in the most brutal public way possible. A way that was designed to prolong his suffering. So that everyone who traveled in and out, usually this was on roads. People were crucified along roads into or out of the cities. So that people who were coming in and out of the cities would see them. And maybe they're leaving two days later and that person is still hanging there, taking their next difficult breath. That's a pretty dramatic way for Jesus to die when he's supposed to be a king, isn't it? It's a pretty difficult way, thing for them to understand. And, but here's where we say, but they should have seen this coming. How many times did Jesus have to say that he was going to his death? That he would be raised again. How many times? Well, we don't know the answer to that question. At best, we can speculate at least one more time. At least. But here's something that's weird. After Jesus is crucified, after his resurrection, there is a period of time where Jesus is with his followers, with his disciples. Forty days. He is with his disciples until he ascends into the heavens. And he has several encounters with his followers over those 40 days. He engaged with them. He interacted with them. And in so doing, he tried his best to help his followers understand what it meant for him, for Jesus, to be the risen Lord. But in spite of that, the disciples were like us. They were very human. 
They had a hard time letting go of the limitations of the world, how things work and how they understood them. And if you think about it, the last 40 days of Jesus here on earth are are kind of strange. I mean, he's raised from the dead. He's here 40 days. He appears 10 times over those 40 days, only to his disciples. And then he does the most logical thing possible. He ascends into heaven to leave them there to figure out what they're supposed to do next. From Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Okay, let's appreciate for a moment the absurdity of what's happening here. These are people that have had a hard time catching on, right? And Jesus uh, tells them what their responsibilities are. And what are their responsibilities? You are to go out and make disciples. And you are to tell these disciples what? Everything I have told you. You can't repeat the last three sentences, I said. But they're supposed to repeat everything that Jesus told them. And then, just to seal the deal, what does Jesus do? He leaves. And here they are, looking at one another. Cool. He really did leave. Yeah, I saw it. Cloud and everything. Yeah, yeah, that happened. Awesome. So where do we wait? I don't know. (laughs) Let's go back. (laughs) I mean, this is kind of the situation they're left with. So this morning we want to take a look at what Jesus did with the time he had between his resurrection and his ascension, what he told his followers, and examine that question of why these things went the way they did. Because on the surface to us, if we're just, you know, totally straight with one another, it's kind of weird. And it's not what we would expect a risen Savior to do. So let's pick it up with the first question. What did Jesus do after the resurrection? Again, he was around for 40 days, and during those 40 days, he made 10 appearances. Okay? So he showed himself to his disciples in one way or another, some very miraculous, i.e. he shows up in the room, uh, others not as miraculous. But all the appearances, we have to remember, were to his disciples. And not just to the eleven, but to those who were closest to him and those who had followed him along the way. So when Jesus rose from the grave, he appeared to Mary Magdalene, one of the women on the way there to dress him up and put the spices on things on him those women went back and told the disciples about the empty tomb another group cleopas and a companion of his they were on the road to emmaus and he appeared to them on the road to emmaus and then he appeared to the disciples minus thomas eight days after easter he appeared to the disciples plus thomas and in the ensuing weeks jesus appeared to seven disciples at the sea of galilee 
500 disciples at a large gathering, the disciples in Galilee again, and James. And on the 40th day after Easter, when he had appeared to all the apostles, the Bible says, he ascended into heaven. Okay, so what do we notice about this? It's very, like, touch and go, isn't it? Like, I'm here, I'm not here, I'm here, I'm not here. He's appearing to some of them at one time and some of them at another time in different places. And there doesn't seem to be, at least, I'm sure on their part, any sort of pattern or, or you know, explanation for when he's going to show up or what he's going to tell them. But these appearances were really important because what did they demonstrate? That Jesus was, in fact, risen, was truly alive again, which, again, is a pretty significant thing considering the disciples thought that Jesus was supposed to be dead. Now, here's some things we have to look at a little bit more in depth. Number one, it was so unbelievable, unbelievable that his disciples thought that the first witnesses to the resurrected body of Jesus were just talking crazy when they came back to tell them. When the women returned to where the disciples were hanging out, they said, Jesus is risen, and they thought that they were talking crazy, except for one from Luke chapter 24, verse 12. Peter believed enough to go back and figure out what's going on. Now, the thing is, we don't know why Peter went back. We don't know that he went back because he thought Jesus was risen or he thought they were telling the truth. You know, the most likely explanation is that Peter was really concerned the body was stolen. So what does he do? Peter got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by himself, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. Well, Peter, Jesus had told you, the women just came back and said that they have received word he is risen. Why are you wondering what had happened? Thomas did not believe the account from his friends when they told him that Jesus had risen. And in part, he wasn't there himself to see it, which was a factor in this, okay? We are the same way. You saw this? No way. Yeah, we did. Okay, then show me. That's basically what Thomas says to all of his friends. And Thomas says, I want to what? Touch his hands and his feet and touch the... the, the the wound on his side, and only then will I believe. Now, here's another level to the unbelievable craziness of it. Even when Jesus was there physically in the room, talking to his disciples, they did not believe it. So what do they think is happening then? Are they having a conversation with their imaginary Jesus that they're just projecting out there as a group? We don't know, but, but look at these words from Luke 24, 36 through 43. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. Oh, there it is. It's a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. 
A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. I love this encounter. It's so great because it's so representative, guys, of how it actually is, how it actually would be. They see him, and what do they first think? It's a ghost. He says, I'm not a ghost. Put your fingers where my wounds are. Touch me. I have flesh. I have bone. I am real. And this, in one of possibly my favorite lines throughout this whole story, it says in verse 41, and while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement. What does that mean? They didn't believe it because of joy and amazement? I'm so happy. This is so amazing. It's not true. Like, what is happening with them? Uh, we, we, don't, we don't know, and G, but Jesus spots that they're still having a hard time, so he gives them the coup de gras, the thing that will push it farther than anything else. He eats something. Now, what are the odds that a disciple ran around behind Jesus and looked to see if the piece of fish had passed straight through him to the ground? Could that have happened? Could that have happened? Yes, I think it's possible that that could have happened. So it's funny to me. But the reason for all this disbelief is not hard to explain. It really isn't. We think we're so smart sitting on the other end of this, laughing at these people who are acting sort of ridiculous. It's true. But it's not hard to explain, guys, because Jesus was dead. He was dead. Everyone knew that. That was not a secret. So how could he possibly be alive again? And even throughout all these experiences and appearances and all the things, they have all the things, what is the one thing that is lacking? Their belief that it's possible, that it's true, that it actually happened. They struggle with that all along. So these appearances, while they may not have made the progress we would have liked for them to have made, they were an important part of the disciples catching on. They started the path for the apostles to open their eyes to what God had promised and foretold in the scriptures, even if they did not understand what was going on from Luke 24, verses 44 through 48. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness, for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. You are witnesses of those things. So this, conversations happen, this conversation happens on the road to Emmaus with Jesus walking with these guys who don't recognize who he is. And Jesus is talking about how all the prophets and the scriptures point to all the things that have happened, and they still don't get it. So what does Jesus do? What does he do? He opens their minds 
This is an important point for us here. He opens their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. What does that infer to us? That before he had done this, what could they not do? There was some sort of limitation, a block, that was keeping them from grasping what this teacher was telling them along the road. Even though he was spelling it out plainly to them, making all the connections, giving all of the ligaments and all the things that are necessary to tie it together, they still do not get it until their minds are open. Okay, so what does that tell us? Well, it tells us the resurrection of Jesus is unbelievable. We knew it. We talked about it. But it's interesting to see that even the followers of Jesus, even though the, the people that Jesus, even the people that Jesus was talking to, were struggling to comprehend and to be fair to them, in some cases, could not understand or comprehend. Until Jesus opened their minds to what was going on. Now, did Jesus want the world to know that he was resurrected? Yes. Undoubtedly, he wanted the world to, be res- to know that he was resurrected. So then there's an obvious question that comes to us, right? I think it's obvious. If that's the case, then why didn't he appear more times over the 40 days to more people? Because if he wants people to understand that he once was dead and now he's alive, the best way it seems to do that would be to show them that he is alive and not dead. And yet, he chooses not to do that. In fact, he is away from his disciples more than he's with them in these 40 days. Here's something else that is interesting. When he was present, he discouraged his followers from getting too attached to him. From John chapter 20, verse 17, he says, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. He says this to Mary to go back and tell them, Yes, Jesus is alive. That's great news, right? Um, But don't get used to it. I I mean, he's still going to be alive. But... He's not going to be here because he's ascending. Where is he ascending? I don't know. He just said he was ascending. He's not going to be here for all this time. When Thomas finally confessed his faith to Jesus, Jesus scolded him. Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now, what is Jesus' concern with them getting too attached to his resurrected form? Why does this matter to him? Why, why, why is it a big deal? I mean, again, isn't the resurrected body the proof that the world needs to show that he is alive? And, and wouldn't the resurrected body be the one thing that would change the game for everyone? It's a valid question, but in the middle of his account about Jesus' ascension, Matthew has this note. We've already read it, but let's look at it again. Matthew 28, verses 16 through 17. 
Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Okay, I know I'm beating a dead horse here. I get it. But it's worth noting that at the end of all this time, after all of these appearances, when Jesus is about to go, they are at the mountain doing what? Worshipping him. And yet... Praise Jesus. That's Jesus, right? I mean, what are they thinking and what are they going through? We, we see a lack of belief even presented with the physical evidence that Jesus was really resurrected. And so that shoots a little bit of a hole in our theory that if Jesus appeared alive to more people, they would just believe in it. Because after all, if his closest followers, who had spent the most time with him, who knew him the best, who had heard over and over and over again that this was going to happen, and then saw him multiple times after his resurrection, if they can't believe it, then why is the average person who doesn't have that experience with him going to believe it? I, I mean... I've never thought about it this way before, but Jesus is in a little bit of a predicament, isn't he? He wants people to believe. They are not totally capable of believing, even through to the end. And so it makes me wonder, you know, if Jesus showed up in this room today and let us touch his hands and his feet, would we believe it's him? That's a tough one, isn't it? It's a tough one. Would it be enough? So the final question that I think we need to look at a little bit this morning is, what did Jesus understand that his followers did not? I know the list is too long, okay? Too many things to count. But if Jesus wanted people to believe in the resurrection, why didn't he get a PR manager, hit up the socials, get a TV spot? And the answer is obvious, friends. None of that existed. So why are you even suggesting it? So here's what's really going on in these last 40 days. Does Jesus need to appear to his followers? Yes. Does he need to teach them all he can about what's going on in the world? Yes. Is there a limitation to how far Jesus can take them on his own? Yes. There is. Are you saying that Jesus is limited? Look. Yes, I'm saying it. But the thing is, Jesus knew that too. Jesus knew it too. That he could only take them so far. So Jesus understood that, yes, he's going to make his appearances, he's going to teach, but get this, something better than the resurrected physical presence of Jesus was coming. Something better. How can anything be better than the physical, resurrected body of Jesus. But furthermore, Jesus understood that he had to get out of the way so that the better could come and do its business. That doesn't sound right, you know? It doesn't sound like the kind of thing we should say. Maybe I should have whispered it and like covered my microphone. 
But Jesus knew that something was coming that was more miraculous and astonishing still. He was not satisfied to be a mere object of wonder and worship. Something that we would see and be in awe in from afar. After all, his best friends don't even know how to talk to him. How would other people be able to approach this risen Lord? And then we contrast that with how Jesus lived his life. What did he do? He ate with people. He went into their homes. He slept on their floors. He traveled with all these people. Jesus' life on earth here was a very personal business. He interacted with people in a way that God never could. And now that he's the risen Lord, would people be able to interact with him on a personal level knowing who he is? They can't even believe it's him. How can he stay and interact with them in this way? Jesus knew that he had to get out of the way, that something better was coming. So how was this possible? Again, from Luke chapter 24, verses 45 through 49. We've read part of this, but let's finish it. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are my witnesses to these things. I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Okay, quick question then. What does it take? What would it take? What did it take for the disciples of Jesus to be able to go into the world and proclaim that Jesus is the Son of God? Was it their eyes? Was it what they remembered? Was it how they said what they said? No. What did they need? Power from on high. To begin to be able to do whatever it is that Jesus wanted them to do, they needed power from on high. And what were they to do? Go in the city and wait for it. All right, Jesus, is it going to come and announce, like, hi, I'm power from on high. Glad to see you here today. They don't know. They're just told to go and wait. And Jesus understood that the resurrection, the ascension, I should say, had to happen so that he could leave his place, leave this place, and allow for something even more wonderful, which is the indwelling spirit of God. The indwelling spirit of God. Here is something that I don't think we appreciate as much as we should, and that is pre-Jesus, the relationship that people had with God was a relationship from a distance. You did not simply talk to God. You did not simply approach God. There were places you could go to approach God, but you were not allowed to approach God. Only special people were allowed to approach God. And even those people had a cord tied to their legs, so in case God struck them dead, in the place where he was, they could drag them out. Because guess what? You do not, do not 
simply approach God. He is unapproachable in the most literal sense of the word. And to be in his presence fully is to die. To be in his presence partially is still pretty risky because you do not go in front of this God. Therefore, God was separated from his people. No matter what he did to try to show himself relationally to them, they could not understand him relationally because he was God and they were people. And so what did God decide to do? Well, he sent Jesus here to live with us, to speak to us, to teach us, to show us who God is. And did Jesus do that? Yes, and he sent Jesus here so that Jesus might die for us and be raised again, that we might have eternal life. Did Jesus do that? Yes, but then Jesus had to leave so that God could be as close to us as he possibly could be. What? Isn't Jesus living here with us, walking with us, talking with us, eating with us? Isn't that as close as God can be? No. It's not. Unbelievably, unbelievably, God decides he wants to live in us. He wants to send his Holy Spirit to us. Not just so that we will be free from sin, but so that we will be changed from the inside out to know how to go out in the world and proclaim that there is, in fact, a resurrected Lord. Because you know what? Our minds can barely grasp what that means. Barely grasp what that means. Let alone speak of its fullness. We can barely grasp what that means. So what do we need, friends? If we are going to go out and tell people this is who God is, we need his spirit living inside of us. And Jesus knew that. Jesus knew that. That his Holy Spirit had to come to live in his followers. Therefore, what does he do in the last 40 days of his life? Well, he's not there all the time. He wants them to know he's risen, but he doesn't want them to get too attached to him. He tells them about how all of this is part of the plan. It's all part of the plan. God is writing this. God is controlling this. I know all of this is scary, but just hang on. And he admonishes them. God has more planned for you, so wait and see. And power from on high will come upon you. And when that happens, you will not just be someone who believes in the resurrected Lord. You will be someone who walks around on this earth with the resurrected Lord living inside of you. Empowering you. Giving you wisdom to know what to say. Helping you to understand things that you can't possibly understand. Helping you to love in the way that Jesus loved. In short, helping us if we are willing to overcome all of the human things that kept his disciples from even understanding what was going on. They didn't have the Holy Spirit. But boy, when they did, 
things changed. Things changed. This morning, we are grateful for the resurrected Lord. We are grateful that the tomb was empty. We are grateful that Jesus arrived and showed himself alive, to be alive to those around him, to those who needed the assurance that he was, in fact, risen, that his body was not just stolen. And we are grateful that God, in his great wisdom, decided not to leave the resurrected Lord with us, but instead chose to have the resurrected Lord live inside of us. So we called Jesus home, and he sent his Spirit here to live with us. The Holy Spirit is a tragically underappreciated part of our life with God. Tragically. And so it's only right that we recognize that the cross, the tomb, the ascension were just a part of what God was doing. Central part, yes, absolutely. But God didn't just want us to be saved. He wanted us to be empowered. And the Holy Spirit is the end product of all of those things that God can now live inside of us. And I am grateful that God overcame so many things so that we might have that gift. Amen? Amen. Amen.